0: Okay, well there's this woman, and she's lying in a pool of water, quite deep water, and dark. But she's pale, this woman, she has long wavy blonde hair, although because it's wet, it's straight, and the colour of wet straw. Actually no, let's not make her a blonde, let's make her dark. She has dark hair and its shoulder length, loose, but it's still wet and floating out straight in the water. And her skin? Let's make that dark also. It would be called dusky or cinnamon if this was a cheap romance. So her skin is dusky. Or maybe sallow if you saw her in the sunlight. But she wouldn't because she spends so much of her time in the forest. So... She's lying, floating in the pool, and the pool is in a forest, a Southern European forest. This was when they still had forests in Southern Europe. Are you getting the picture? The leaves of the forest trees dapple her body, and her skin is the sort of color that merges with dappling shadows. But her eyes in the pool her eyes are what he saw.
1: And that's all he really saw.
0: They're what the cheap romance would call startling, a pale leaf green. As if two new, just unfurled leaves from away up in the canopy, in the sunlight, had launched themselves down to the darkness and landed floating just a few centimetres apart.
1: coming through the forest, pushing through the undergrowth. He's looking for water to rest his hounds, and it's been a bad day. He's pushing through the undergrowth, only I think there's probably a hint of a path. You know, the leaves on the forest floor are compressed just a little. They're a bit darker, wetter. There's a hint of mud on the edges, as if a large animal has pushed through, but some time ago, or perhaps will push through again shortly.
2: When he picks up his bow, sometimes it feels as if he's holding something living.
1: So he's following a path which he's never followed before, though these are his woods, they're on his land, so it's already a little unusual, and what I'm saying is that it's not really his fault. And maybe even I'm saying that she lured him there for fun.
0: And she's lying there in the pool letting her legs sink below the surface. As she breathes in, her back arches and her legs float up momentarily. And when she breathes out, her body sinks beneath the surface and her soft stomach, and it was soft, not hunter-hard as some might say.
2: Every time she pulls the string back, her
0: soft stomach,
2: she presses it,
0: just resting there,
2: against her lips.
0: Her arms are stretched out, and she's careful with those legs. She likes the sense of suspension, body completely fluid. But even she is a little nervy of things unknown on the pool floor. That is, she doesn't know how deep it is, and she doesn't want to find out. No surprises, even if she is who she is, and supposed to be beyond that kind of thing.
2: hasn't told anyone this but each of his arrows has a name
1: now if he were here instead of pushing through that undergrowth at that moment on the other side of a world he thought flat at the time when he thought about it because he was a man of the moment and not given to thinking about other times and places if he were here right now He'd probably spent his time honing his sporting skills with someone like this man, his teacher and his hunting companion.
3: You hold the bow in this hand. Nice loose grip. Very loose grip. Don't uh, don't want any tension in the bow hand. On your right hand, it's through like that. And you'll be using those two fingers below the bow and one finger above. Holding like so. Oh, that's it. That's two away. fletches. Two fingers. And two similar coloured fletches and one odd colour. And the two similar coloured fletches go towards the bow handle and the odd one stands away from the bow. It's called the cock feather. The way you set yourself up in the first instance is... Break your arms like that, a comfortable position, and then look along your arm, and line your arm up with the target. I'd like you to line up with that okay, target straight. Now, a straight
2: when you, and smooth draw.
3: When you draw, with a straight and smooth draw, pull straight back so that your hand comes in under your chin, and the string... You're basically kissing the string, it comes into the middle of your chin, middle of your nose, and then this elbow is back behind you, and you're ready to shoot, and you continue to pull back into this anchor point, and you're still pulling back, but you relax your fingers, and then the arrow goes. That's all there is to it. Archery is all about repeatability, and So you need to be able to come back to the same point. You need to be able to draw exactly the same draw length every time. So you come back to an anchor point um, and consistently come back to the same point. Consistency is what it's all about. And then the last thing, which I didn't tell you, Mm. is after you've shot, uh, you have a follow through, your hand, because you're pulling hard back, and suddenly the string disappears. Your hand should just follow through and you follow it through so that it just slides along your face and you stay in that sighted position until your arrows hit the target and then you relax, you put down and relax and you make a point of let the tension let let it all flow out and then you go down and pick up another arrow and do it again. That's all you still? So show us. Show right. well, us how you can do it. Hey, not bad for the first time, eh? Very good. Wow. we we'll do some more, but we'll just make the others correct. Yeah. Our eyes first.
2: The moments in his life have meaning, only in that they fall between an arrow's firing and its hitting of the target. Anyway...
1: He's pushing through the canopy, following this trail of bruised leaves. And he looks up and sees, way ahead, flickering in and out of the branches, a jewel. He can't miss it, because it's glowing in amongst the russet forest colours. It's almost otherworldly, this green, sparkling thing. And then it's lost in the foliage, a light gone out.
0: She's tired and she's just closed her eyes. She lives on the edge of human activity and, like a cat, she spends a lot of energy in a very short time, then must sleep long hours to make up for it, despite who and what she is. Actually, she's more a dog person, cats being too like her. She has six dogs and keeping them fed keeps her busy, out shooting, like him though she never eats what she kills.
2: She's pragmatic about archery. There's nothing romantic about it. Although there are some vicarious pleasures.
0: And she's cross this early afternoon as the light comes through the forest canopy. She's irritable because her providers, the villagers, have been lax this week and she's had to hunt more than usual and the winter has been hard and there are fewer mature beasts around now that it's spring and it's taken her hours to find an animal for her dog's meal tonight she's left them prowling near the village where their unseen presence will cause a collective and free-floating sleepless anxiety a kind of punishment now she's floating in this pool in the forest clearing, taking her time, catching up on her rest.
2: Sometimes when she thinks about shooting, she feels a little odd, an almost nervous thrill. Okay,
4: collect. Yep. Bring the arrows over for check in before giving
5: them back to yeah. people and putting them back that one's broken. That
4: one's broken. I think why I took up archery was to win the, the beautiful Japanese arrow that they had at the Alzinge archery tournament a few years ago. Um, quite a few keen archers in the New Varangian Guard were holding a traditional event. It's held once a year and it's called the Alzinge archery tournament. So they had this beautiful arrow that was going to be the prize for sort of the most improved or the person who was basically inexperienced archer but, but did well. It's a very long arrow, it's much um, longer than a normal arrow and it's made of bamboo and it has real feather fletchings on it. It's a beautiful arrow. Of course I can't fire it, I don't have a bow, the, the right size and dimensions, but it's a beautiful trophy.
6: Okay, the new French guard is made up of people who are interested in the period of um, 900 through to 1200 and the guard itself is actually um, formed in the Byzantine armies as the emperor's bodyguard and there were so many different uh, cultures that served in that guard starting from the Vikings through to the Saxons who were displaced from 1066 right through to the Islamic types which sort of late Saracen sort of uh, characters. So, my interest was in it, um, was that they actually had female people who could fight, and I was into the fighting at that stage, and it wasn't until later that I got into the archery.
2: A woman in defence of her home.
6: They weren't so much as you would think as as Amazons or anything like that. They were basically women who would defend the home from a lot of uh, invaders while the men were off fighting. So, they still had to know how to to defend a, a homestead or a fort. Or a, a garrison, so to speak, and then you have the other fighters, who, especially in the Islamic um, armies, there were a lot of female fighters there, so you could actually get onto on a horse
4: and and fight from horseback. A favoured target. There, know. there is a spiritual link, though I think, with it, because some some days, even even if you don't feel like you're in a particularly good form for for actually shooting, you can go out and particularly if you're not thinking about it very much and you're not actually in the mood for it, you can actually shoot a lot better than you would normally. And then I guess there are other days where where you don't make that connection. But certainly when you do make that connection, you can feel it and you can tell and you can pull off some really fluky shots where you just think, oh, I don't believe I did that, that's that's really amazing. Like when I shot Chris right between the eyes, that was beautiful. (laughs) There are certain people that are the favourite targets, shall we say. These these Korean bows are made out of fiberglass, they have wooden basically for the hand grip but all the rest of the area underneath it's actually, you can see on the end there, the yellow fiberglass finish. To make it look more authentic you can paint it, some people have painted their bows, done beautiful designs and things on them, Um, but yeah you can also cover it with skin and traditionally they used um, fish skin because it's so light but durable. Um, it's also very difficult to find fish skin these days, so a suitable alternative is... Um, they would have had eel skin, but I couldn't get eel skin either, so I've opted for snake skin.
2: Essentially, how I consider the difference between a, a, the, the long bow and the, and the recurve bow, um, the recurve bow is made out of different layers of different kinds of material. You l- use anything from horn to timber to, well nowadays, the fiberglass but as you can see with a with a long bow it's just a piece of wood but it, it's been just shaped and, and styled in a way that it's, it's usable and flexible the, the long bow is, is much bigger if you compare it to the, the recurve bow that we had before. It's actually a lot longer for the same sort of um, result mm. and so the, the others are a lot more compact the recurve and you can get a lot more oomph out of something smaller. The heavier the bow Where are you going? The higher the poundage, the further your arrow will fly, the harder it's going to hit.
4: The harder it is to pull, the harder it is to draw. The harder
2: to pull, the harder to draw.
1: So, so he's on the lookout. It's been a terrible day, and now he's following his trail, which he's imagining has been made by a deer, maybe even a stag. He's not hugely optimistic, but he's determined to get something. So uncharacteristically, he ignores his instincts. He pushes on. And then there's this moment. It happens simultaneously or so quickly, it's really quite hard to tell the order of things, the
2: flow of events. He's firing arrows, but he's got no intention of falling in love.
1: He pushes aside one last branch, and he's there. He's arrived in her clearing. He sees the jewel, her leaf-green eye. And she freezes like ice. And he's so taken aback, and this is quite hard to believe, but you must try. He's so taken aback that he thinks he's seen his quarry. He's seen a small, frightened female deer. And that's hardly worth talking about taking home. He raises his bow, and then he fires. And this is where it gets strange the arrow starts on its trajectory, ordinarily enough. It loops up and it spins through the air, pale wood twisting and turning, fletches on the end, slick in their own slipstream, the tip hard and pressing on its path. But she is starting to laugh, because she's living in a different
2: world, a paradoxical place, at least when she so chooses. Her arrow was thinner than a knitting needle and it pierced his heart quite easily.
5: Zeno was a student of Parmenides. Parmenides was an Eleatic philosopher of about the 6th century before the Common Era. And he held a view which people found outrageous and which people today, if they don't call outrageous, they call mystical. He held that all was one and he was ridiculed even in ancient times. Zeno, his student, helped to try to support Parmenides' view by showing that the views, ordinary views of everyday people about motion, about place, about time, were as full of absurdity as the views that Parmenides held, which they ridiculed. So he developed paradoxes. Uh, with famous images like the the one about the arrow uh, which says the arrow moves neither in the space in which it is nor in the space in which it is not. Where does it move? So you could ask the question where does it move? And there are only two possibilities. There's the place in which it is and the place in which it is not. The place in which it is is completely self-contained. It's perfectly bounded on all sides by that space. But the place in which it is not is yet a place where the arrow doesn't exist. So it can move in neither one of these places. The trouble is most of the scholars think that uh, this means, Zeno's conclusion is, that the arrow doesn't move, that it just stays put. But the marvelous thing about the paradox is that he begins by saying the arrow moves neither in the place in which it is nor in the place in which it is not. So we accept its motion. Um, but we don't understand its motion. And the twist of uh, Zeno's logic is for us to see not that the arrow doesn't move, but that we don't understand how it moves. And so the wonder emerges again.
7: And perhaps one of the reasons why um, Zeno came up with these paradoxes of motion, given that he was the uh, student of Parmenides who believed in the one single uh, reality, was to, to exhibit... Uh, this idea namely that although things appear to be separate um, and, and different from one another yet they're all part of this one underlying reality and that of course uh, fits in with Zen Buddhism as well in the sense that they too believe that contrary to appearances things tend to appear different uh, and disparate there is this one underlying reality and uh, the, the, the Zen Buddhist ultimate objective is to achieve enlightenment or satori and satori uh, is to become part of this one singular reality and actually is is one way of achieving enlightenment
2: Abarus cleaves the
5: air even from the earliest times the image of the arrow is very important there's a a story about a character whom we know very little about his name was Abarus. The Greeks called him a Hyperborean. It means he came out of the far north. And the areas have been associated with the Russian steppes and, and that region. That he flew on his arrow around the world, uh, teaching philosophy to the Greeks. And the idea of uh, a shaman flying on his arrow is uh, a very, very ancient image. Uh, and, uh, perhaps it, it's partly because you think the arrow fits so well with the ideas of the target, the goal, the point, um, the way the shaft pierces the air and f- cleaves everything aside and flies through it. Uh, Aristotle once tells a story uh, anticipating ideas of inertia. Where he says if you could go to the edge of the universe and heave an arrow outside of the boundary of it, it would fly off into nothingness and never veer from its path. Uh, so the image of the arrow was already very, a very uh, significant one in those things.
7: And something that's actually picked up uh, by Ovitz in his uh, Metamorphosis is is that these stories are stories of transformation. And in a sense, that fits in with what we've been talking so far, because both in in, uh, Greek philosophy but also in in Zen Buddhism, what you have is transformation. And there's a nice picture where uh, the the master tells the, the student of archery that when he uh, masters this artless art the hitter and, and, and the hit become one so this transformation from being uh, a separate being in the world becoming part of this one single reality so there's that element of transformation in, in, in this as well
2: The arrow and the unfortunate incident <laughs>
5: The uh, uh, only time I've ever uh, shot an arrow um... Uh, well, I missed the, missed the target. As a child I was shooting arrows. and so missed the target completely and uh, struck a, a beehive and <gasps> had a bad incident as a result oh, yeah. of that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
1: so here he is, having let fly so quickly, now standing frozen. He's shot the arrow, and the moment it leaves the bow, he knows what the truth is and what it's consequence will be. He sees his quarry transform from trembling deer to laughing, naked, dripping
2: woman.
0: In the time between now and the raising of the bow, she's leapt from the pool to stand there, on the other side. Just in case, you know, the principle fails and she has to think of something else.
1: And somehow, in the depths of his psyche, so often turned to things of an earthly nature, He knows who she is.
6: That
2: goddess.
0: And so the arrow twists. And amazingly it starts to slow until it is just inching, then jerking in its efforts. And finally quivering in increments towards her face. Right there. Between those jewels. Those eyes. And then...
1: It stops. Or he thinks it does. And as he tries to process this thought, he hears his dogs barking in a far-off distant part of the forest. And in the moment that Zeno describes, he feels something change and watches helpless as she turns her back away from the suspended arrow. And he knows he'd better start running
2: Artemis was the daughter of Leto and Apollo's twin sister. As soon as she was born she had gone to find Zeus, her father, and begged from him not ornaments or jewellery but a short tunic, hunting boots, a bow, and a quiver of arrows. Actaeon, son of Aristeus and Ortonoe, was himself a passionate huntsman. One day, with his hounds, he was chasing a stag when he came to the place where Artemis and her companions happened to be bathing. Enraged that a mortal should have seen her in her nakedness, Artemis changed Actaeon into a stag and set his own pack on him. The hounds tore him to pieces and devoured him.